Masechet Gitin Daflamed He. Since we mentioned one of the Takanot of Rabban Gamliel Hazaken, uh, that we do not allow the husband to go to a Betin and nullify a get that he sent with a messenger. So now we're going to see another, um, another Takana that Rabban Gamliel made, and also one that Hillel made. Mishnah. En almana nifrat yotomim ela bishvua. A widow cannot collect her ketubah from the estate which goes to the sons of the uh, husband, uh, who are the orphans, unless she makes a shevua. Now this is actually a general law that the Gemara will mention, that anyone who um, is owed money by the husband, and then the, or this guy, and then this guy dies, uh, so now they want to go and collect from orphans, but the orphans don't know if it was paid, or if it was, say it was a loan, was it paid fully, was it paid partially, um, they don't know, they, they, they may not know. And therefore, the one who collects, who wants to collect money has to swear that they were not paid so that they can collect. This is true for anybody that uh, the husband owes money. And it is also true for the almana. Uh, this, this is the ketubah payment. And once the husband dies, the ketubah needs to be paid. It will be paid by the yetomim. The yetomim might be her own sons or it might be her stepsons. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, but the point is that uh, it could be that we, we are worried that maybe the husband prepaid some amount of the ketubah beforehand and uh, therefore she would not be eligible to collect the entire thing and that would be stealing from Yetomim. Um, so therefore she has to make a, a shivuah that she did not receive any payment of the ketubah and then she can collect. Uh, which is like the same law for anyone who wants to t- who take money from an estate. However, at a later stage, uh, the rabbis uh, stopped her from making an oath. We'll see, the Gemara will explain why. They were worried that a woman may purposefully or even inadvertently lie. Maybe they won't realize that they actually did c- collect some and forgotten about it. And uh, then they will make a shivuah, which is a serious matter, and they will say uh, they will, it will not be true. So she would not be able to make a shivuah, and therefore she would also not collect her ketubah, which is a problem for her, because then she won't have money to live on. And then, so then, hitkin Rabban Gamaliel hazaken sheten odedet leyetomim koma shirusu vegoba ketubata. So Rabban Gamaliel hazaken came to the rescue for these almanot who weren't able to collect their ketubah and said, listen, instead of making a shivuah, which is very, very serious, make a neder, which is also serious, but less serious. Right? A shivuah is an absolute statement. I did not. Uh, take any money. A neded is a conditional that um, at, as it has a prohibition attached to it. So she might say, for example, if I received any money of the ketubah, I will not eat meat for the next 20 years. Um, or so, well, then that way, if she's lying, so then, well, she just won't eat meat. Or you can make it more serious and say, I will not drink water. Um, the point is um, that the yetomim can make her make a neded in anything that they want. They can make up the conditions. They can make it more serious if they don't trust their mother or stepmother. And they could say, "I won't eat anything at all," or they can make it less serious if, uh, if they if they don't if they um, trust her a little more that she won't just have uh, she won't um, uh, um, go on a vacation or uh, eat chocolate or whatever it is, and that way the she can receive her ketubah. Okay, so this is a kind of nice compromise, although we don't want her to uh, be to, to lie and make a shivuah that may be an error. Um, on the other hand, we do want her to get a, her ketubah. So let her make this neded, and that will be sufficient proof 
that she didn't receive it, so that she's not stealing from them, but it's also sufficiently not serious that we're worried that she'll be violating a major thing if, even inadvertently, she may have received some payment. Okay, that's the first law, which we'll deal with today. Uh, next law that will come up tomorrow, even though you could make a get without signing it and uh, instead just have a have a deem for delivery of the get, uh, but um, there also another takana, probably also by the Ban Gamliel Hazaken, since it comes right after him, um, that the should have, when, when you write a get, you should also have a deem sign on the get, um, and this is for the betterment of the world. Um, as the Gemara will explain tomorrow, it will be uh, serve as proof in case you can't find the original uh, witnesses that saw the transfer, but the witnesses that are written sign in the get, so they can serve as proof and uh, as long as you can ratify the signatures. So it'll be um, easier to ratify, easier for her to prove in the future that she was in fact divorced. And then famously, Hillel made a takana of a called a pedos bol, um, also for the betterment of the world, in order to help uh, people who have outstanding loans collect the loans after shivi'it. And since they know they can collect them through shivi'it by transferring it to a betin, that way they will be willing to give loans before the Shivi'id comes and won't uh, violate the Torah that says, don't be stingy and uh, close your hand because you know the Shivi'id uh, uh, is coming and it's going to cancel loans and then you're not going give, to give to the poor. So that helps the people so that they won't violate that. It also obviously helps the poor that they can receive loans and so that they can live. So this has a lot of benefits, this Piroz bull. Okay, my idea almana, afilu kole almana me, de hakaimalan, habali para menirse yatomim, loi para ela bishvoa. We're wondering why does the Mishnah say an almana cannot collect money from the yatomim without a shivoa? This is actually true for everyone, so why does the Mishnah say anyone um, cannot uh, take, right? Because we know that is the halacha. Anyone who comes to receive money, to collect money from the estate that, um, had that the yatomim uh, um, inherit, cannot re- be repaid unless they make a shivuah. So why do you have to mention almana specifically? Almana yisarechale sakadatech amina mishumchina akelu rabanan gaba kamashmalan because I might have thought that maybe the rabbis made a special leniency for a widow because after all she is a widow and maybe they allowed her to collect her ketubah even without making a shivuah. We'll trust her. Let her let her take a, a collector ketubah. Don't put any obstacles in the way so that she will be more marriageable. She'll be more desirable. We'd like her to hopefully get remarried. And it'll be easier for her to to get remarried if she receives, um, let's say the Kirtubah is $100,000. And so now she she has $100,000 to her name that uh, she can bring into a new marriage. And so that will make her more eligible. So we might have thought that the rabbis would make a a leniency special for her. And that's why the Mishnah has to teach that, no, it's not true. We do not make a special leniency for her. I mean, even though, of course, we want to help out a widow. But on the other hand, um, if we make that leniency, it's a problem because of stringency for the orphans. Because then it could be that someone will... um, uh, a. uh, It could be another case where someone will extract money from the orphans uh, unfairly, because the uh, ketubah was already paid, and now the orphans will have to pay, and you're taking money away from orphans, which also we don't want to do. So you always have to think about the consequences. You do something good on this side, but it might have negative consequences on the other side. And so therefore, 
the rabbis, uh, the Mishnah is teaching that everyone's no exceptions, even an almana has to make a shivua. Let him make a shivua, right? If it's true, it's good. Um, okay, that was the original law. But then, nimne'o melahashpi'ah, they stopped the court, the Bet Batedin stopped allowing her to make a shivua. They would not, and, and, they, and she would not get her kituba either. Maitama, why? Why didn't they let her uh, make her uh, make a shivua and collect? Perhaps we don't want her to make a shivua because of the following story. The following story is a demonstration of the severity of making a false oath, even if she thinks it's true. And even if it's almost true, it still has severe consequences. That's the point of this story. So this story is in the name of Rav Kana or in the name of Rav, that there was a certain person in a time of fa- a year of famine, and he took a dinar and he uh, uh, he took a, a dinar zahav and he gave it to a widow to hold for him. Maybe he's going on a trip, whatever. He says, "Listen, can you hold on to this for me until I come to collect it back?" So she put it in a nice safe place. She put it in a jar of flour. Mm, that's good. Who's gonna who's gonna look in a jar of flour? Uh, but then she apparently forgot it was there. And so then she baked a loaf of bread with that flour, including with the coin, inside the, uh, inside the challah. Maybe this is the source of uh, cooking a key inside a, inside a loaf. Uh, but here she, she cooked this uh, a coin, and then, not knowing that the coin was in it, she was nice enough to give tzedakah to a poor person. She gave the poor person the loaf of bread, Okay, so she had no idea. She thought that the coin is still in the in the jar of flour. After some time, the uh, the guy who owned the coin and gave it to her uh, said, um, "Okay, give me back my dinar that I um, I asked you to watch for me." Uh, so she went and looked, and the pot of jar of flour wasn't there. Uh, so she and she made a vow and said, May poison come and be effective on my one of my children. Um, she says, that woman, but she means herself, if I benefited at all from your, uh, from your coin, right? So she's making a vow. I did not steal it. I did not take it. I did not benefit from it. I don't know what happened. It's just lost. Okay. But sure enough, this is how severe a vow is, even though actually she thought she was telling the truth. Um, uh, and after some day, it was not only a few days later, one of her children sadly died. And so the rabbis heard about this story and said, if someone who swears truthfully gets a punishment like this, how much more so someone who, who swears knowingly that they said a falsehood, all the more so they would deserve punishment. Okay, that's the story. Now, a couple of questions on the story. Wait a second, why should she be punished? She didn't get any benefit from the coin, so what her vow was true. She got no benefit. The poor person got benefit, but she didn't. 
And the answer is, dinar. Oh, she did benefit from the space of the dinar, uh, uh, took up some space inside the bread. If she didn't have, the dinar wasn't there, she would have had to use a little bit more flour. How much? I mean, a very tiny bit more flour to fill in that space. So she actually saved on a tiny bit of flour, so she did get some benefit from it, and therefore, technically, it was a lie that she said that she got no benefit from the dinar. Okay, according to that interpretation, then why does why is, uh, the story say that she swore truthfully uh, if, in fact, it was a lie? And the answer is, Well, it was like the truth. First of all, she thought it was true. She had no idea that the coin was in it. And also, it's less than a penny's worth of uh, flour uh, that uh, she benefited. So it was kind of like uh, some, it was like a truthful statement that had, uh, in a small way, was technically wrong um, and received such a, such a severe punishment. And so all the more so someone that maybe knowingly uh, to received some money from Ketuvah and, uh, and swore falsely, would get a terrible punishment. And even if a woman did not know, did not know that uh, the husband had paid her, maybe he paid some, uh, something for her that would, uh, that would be, uh, be deducted from the Ketuvah, and uh, maybe she forgot, and so she might make a vow uh, that she received nothing, but in fact she received uh, something, even if it's a little bit, and makes a vow, and that would cause a terrible punishment. And therefore, the rabbi said, you know what, we're not going to impose an oath on an almana, but she also can't collect from the orphans without almana, so she cannot collect the kitubah at all. Okay, so now we ask about that. Wait a second, if that's the reason that we're afraid that people will make a false uh, shivua, then how come this is true only for almana that the courts stopped making a shivu, making her take a shivua? How come they don't say so for a girusha also? Uh, if a woman is girusha, she also is eligible to collect her ketubah. And um, and she, let's say the husband then, then dies after, the, after they uh, are divorced, and she has to collect from the yitomim, uh, so she can go ahead and make a vow. So how come we don't worry about that? We only said this law of the Mishnah regarding Almana. But if it's a Gidusha, then we, the court, will administer a Shivua and she can collect her Ketuvah. How can we not afraid that she might be purposefully or inadvertently lying and making a, shivua, a false Shivua? So we should have the same law and don't allow her, to, don't make her take a Shivua. And the answer is Almana Shane, Tebahi Almana is different because uh, Almana remains in the house. See, if a Gerusha, she is, once they are divorced, um, they are separated and she leaves the house and she goes lives somewhere else. Uh, whereas Almana, when the husband dies, she has a right to remain. She can say, I want to remain in the house. Um, and uh, she has a right to be also sustained by the Ketuvah. Uh, she doesn't have to collect the Ketuvah right away. In fact, it might be beneficial for her to be sustained by the estate. She'll live there. She'll receive food from the estate. Um, and she only will eventually uh, collect her Ketuvah when she's ready to get remarried, right? If she finds a guy, she wants to get remarried, then she's moving out of the house. She's not going to be sustained anymore by the estate. Then she can say, okay, pay me the Ketuvah amount. So Amana, who remains in the house, and who else is in the house? The Yatomim. Again, whether it's her, her own sons or son, stepsons, and she is taking care of things in the house, helping out with the, with the children there. So she may uh, permit herself to 
say that she did not receive money from the Ketubah, even though she did, because she'll consider it like payment for helping out around the house. So she will rationalize, permit herself. She says, look, you know, I just uh, uh, did cleaning up and I played with the kids and I cooked dinner and whatever she did around the house and helped out because she is living there. She'll say, well, that deserves payment. So even though, yes, true, I did get, uh, you know, a thousand dollars worth of payment from the Ketubah, but I'm not considering that as payment to Ketubah. I'm considering that as payment for taking care of things around the house. So that's why she may, she, we're worried that Amana may uh, lie um, uh, be, because of this consideration. So again, either purposely or inadvertently, you know, thinking that this is uh, this payment she deserves and not payment that should be deducted from the Ketubah. Um, so she is more likely to make this mistake and lie, whereas a Gerusha is out of the house. And so there's no possibility that she will think that um, uh, she got any money at all. She'll know either she got money when, you know, back when, or she didn't get money. Um, from, from the husband, and so we don't have to worry about her uh, making this mistake and lying. So therefore, a Gerusha does make a Shavuah and collects Almana, who is still in the house, uh, does not make a Shavuah. She may make a mistake and make a false Shavuah, and she cannot collect. Good. So, we're going to see two versions of this halacha. In this first version, Rav and Shmuel are both in agreement that this law of the Mishnah is only true in a Betin. Uh, but if it's outside of, outside of Betin, then the orphans can impose a swear of um, a Shavuah on her. Why? Because a Shavuah in Betin is very severe. You use Hashem's name, you hold a holy object, and so that's very, very serious. So we really don't want her to make a mistake and say a, a false Shavuah in Betin. However, if they're outside of Betin, then it's not as severe. So then the orphans can make her make a, take a shivua, and then she can collect her money. That's uh, both Rav and Shmuel agree to that. However, we have a question about Rav. We know that Rav would not allow a widow to collect a uh, collect to collect a ketubah. Not at all. Not she can't make a shivua inside. She can't make a shivua outside. And so that wouldn't be possible at all. And so they, they see that Rav did not have this uh, loophole that she can make a shivua outside of Betin. Kashya, this is indeed difficult. We have a, prob uh, a um, problematic contradiction between these two, two statements of Rav. Okay, that's all one version. Besuda matnu hachi. That's how they learned what Rav and Shemel said in Suda. However, matnu hachi. In this version, only Shemuel said that said that the law of the Mishnah applies in Betin only. That's when they will not impose a Shavuah on her. But if it's outside of Betin, then they can impose a Shavuah on her. That's what Shemuel said. However, Rav disagreed with Shemuel. He was more machmir and said, no, not even outside of Betin, we do not impose the orphans cannot impose a shivwa on her, even though it's less severe. Still, we are worried that she's going to lie, and we don't want her, her to violate a shivwa, which is also serious even outside of Betin. 
Rav Letameh, and in this version of the conversation, the uh, the story that was a challenge now actually becomes a support. Rav Letameh, Rav Lamagbeketuvala and we see that Rav in fact followed his own reasoning uh, because Rav would not allow a widow to collect her ketubah. Um, because uh, they should uh, would, would not be able to do it in Betin, and she could not take a shivua, not even outside of Betin, and so it was a problem. Okay, that's the second version. Now we have a question. Wait a second. I know you can't make her take a shivua, but why not make her take a neder? Right? We saw that. That was the takana of Rabban Gamliel that said, all right, shivua is too strong, but make a neder, and that will be sufficient proof. Um, and it won't be that serious, so isn't that a good, why, why not do that so that she can collect? Rav said, no, no way to collect. And the answer is, and During the time of, uh, of Rav, when Rav lived, uh, vows were treated very lightly. People would just make vows left and right, the same way people, you know, just um, say a curse uh, word uh, today. And, uh, and and say all kinds of things, right? Oh, this is a, if this light stays red, I'm going to stop eating meat. Yeah. And then they would, they would ignore it. They would just set it as um, uh, just offhandedly and didn't take them seriously. And so therefore, uh, we're worried that the, the uh, wife would, uh, fine, I'll make a net, anything you want. Okay, I'll never eat fruit. I'll never eat vegetables again. I didn't take anything. But she, she may be lying and not care about it, so it won't be a test at all. And therefore, we cannot allow her to collect with a neder because you may be taking money from orphans that they don't really have to pay. Now we have a series of fascinating stories, and here you have one almana, widow that came to Rav Huna, and uh, she, she's in this situation. She needs to collect her ketubah uh, from the orphans, but now, you know, she wants to, but she has to make a shivua, but now the courts don't, don't do shivua anymore. And so she comes to Ravuna to help, and Ravuna says, what can I do for you? I can't help you. I'd like you to get your ketubah, but um, Rav, who's Ravuna's teachers, would not allow um, Almana to collect the ketubah because we, can't, may, we, we don't want her to trip up with the shivua. So sorry, can't help you. This Amana, she was a little bit learned. And she says, I know the reason. What's the reason that we can't take, make a, a Shavua? Because maybe I really did collect some amount of my Ketubah, and then you're afraid that I'll, I'll be uh, making a Shavua that's false. You know what? I will jump the gun, and I'll make a Shavua right here and now. And without being asked, she went and said, By the life of Hashem Sevaot, a bad evil should befall me if I benefited at all from this ketubah. Well, Rav, my teacher, agrees that if a woman goes and jumps and uh, jumps the gun, and she, on her, by her own initiative, takes a, va- takes a shivua, then it's permitted for her to collect her marriage contract. Right? We just we were afraid that we didn't want to impose a shivua because then she may be lying. But now she already made the shivua, and so it does not, we don't have to worry that then she will do something because we asked her that she would ma- make her a lie. So she must really mean it if she went ahead and made the shivua. And after all, now she, there's no legal claim against her. She made a shivua, so we have to allow her to take the payment if she does so. So this woman knew this and uh, was able to uh, to get around it. Maybe she didn't know that it would, it would work, but you know she wanted to show. I really, really didn't. And so she made this, and it worked. 
Um, and so that story had a happy ending. So a similar story of a widow wanted to collect her ketubah from orphans. And so she came to Rabah, um, the son of Rav Huna, and, uh, for help. And he said, I can't help you, I'm sorry, uh, because Rav would not allow a, 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 a widow to collect an almana, and also my father and teacher, who was Rav Huna, also in his, when he was a Dayan, we just saw the source the case, in the previous case, he also would not allow an almana to collect the ketubah. So, you know, I'd love to help you, but uh, there's no way I can do it. So she said, okay, fine, I can't collect my ketubah, then give me my regular sustenance. As we said before, um, a widow, before she, she, before she receives a ketubah, she doesn't have to demand her ketubah. She can remain in the house, receive sustenance, receive everything, be sustained by the estate. She says, okay, I'm not getting my ketubah. Okay, I want my regular sustenance. Amar la mezone nami let lich. Amar amar shemuel. She says, no, sorry, now you lost out on your mezonot also, because Shemuel says, note that he's following Rav for the previous law, that she cannot collect her ketubah payment, but he's also following Shemuel for the following law, that says that if a woman comes to Betin to um, request to collect her ketubah, then she stops getting sustenance. The reason is because we assume, why are you coming to collect your, your, uh, your ketubah? Must be that you're planning to get remarried. And so that's it. You're moving out of the house. You're not going to be dependent on the estate anymore. You're going to be dependent on your husband who will take care of you. So that's why you're collecting it. But once you're, about, once you're ready to remarry, then you can't get mizonot anymore. So now she's really stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? Because she came to the court to ask the, to the ketubah. She doesn't get mizonot. Or even though the answer of the court was, no, you cannot collect the ketubah. So she gets no ketubah and no mizonot. You can imagine... Uh, she was pretty upset. And so she said, A great line. She said to Rabah, the son of Rav Huna, May your chair be overturned, meaning may you lose your job. Uh, so she curses him uh, because look how you follow two different opinions. You're not even consistent. Either follow Shemuel all the way through because Shemuel uh, says that uh, she could make a shavua outside of Betin and she'll be able to collect that way, um, uh, right? Or don't follow Shemuel and allow me to take Mizonot. Look how you pick and choose the Chumrot of both Rav and Shemuel which, and to, make me, to get me out of any payment at all. Right now I have, I have to go beg in the street. And so she was really upset and you know, you don't want to upset, you don't want to upset an almana. And so, you know, what they did is they turned his chair over physically and put it back up uh, so that uh, hopefully the literal meaning of the curse will apply there and then the, the uh, real actual meaning, figurative meaning of the curse maybe will not apply. Uh, so, but even though they did that, it didn't help. He was not saved from this weakness, either a physical weakness, maybe he got sick, or a mental weakness that he got depressed. Um, and uh, so he still suffered the results of this curse um, because he um, was uh, not taking care of this uh, with this widow.
All right, so this is a story that had a, 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 a not not a happy outcome. Amar le Rav Yehuda le Rav Yirmiya bida'a adraha bebetin vashbe'a chutz lebetin velete kala velipo beudnai tebaena kihechi abid ba maase. Rav Yehuda, he was a student of Shemuel, and so he wanted the halacha to be uh, widespread like Shemuel. So he said to Rav Yirmiya bida'a, listen, if any widow comes and she needs to collect her ketubah from Yetomim, here's what I want you to do. Either allow her to make a neder in Betin, or let her make a shivuah outside of Betin. Right? That's what, she, that's what Shemuel said. The neder in Betin, that was ready from the Mishnah, is the Takana of Rabban Gamliel. Rav didn't allow because in his place he felt that people were taking them lightly. Um, but uh, Rav Yuda said, no, that's still fine. You can make a nedet in Betin or fine, she won't do that. Do a shivwa outside of Betin, as Shemuel says, and I want you to publicize it. And I want to hear the report that this a, a woman did so and that you adjudicated it. And I okayed it too um, uh, so that uh, it will become a precedent and that way other people can benefit also. So you see here really like a live debate of these actual cases of these various Amoraim um, trying to adjudicate. And this is a difficult situation because you want to get the right balance between um, allowing the kit, allowing the, um, the, the almana to get her ketubah or mezonot, so she'll be taken care of. On the other hand, you want to protect the um, assets of the yetomim, that they're not paying something that they uh, should, don't need to be paying, and that would be stealing from them. And so these various Amoraim as judges are trying to adjudicate it um, in uh, one way or another, um, but, uh, but also taking into account the, the legal um, prohibitions and the legal requirements and finding, if they can't do it in one way, finding some other way in order to help people in these situations. So really very, very interesting set of laws and stories. Okay, now we're going to analyze further this statement. The law of the Mishnah applies only to an almana that we do not impose a shivua on her, but that was the Betedin. But then eventually, Rabban Gamliel has again made a takana that the um, uh, that the almana, she can make a neder instead of a shivua, and that'll be sufficient proof so that she can collect her ketubah. Uh, so, uh, for Gidusha, this does not apply. Gidusha can make a shivua because we're not as afraid that she is going to lie since she's out of the house. Um, she's not helping out around the house, so she'll uh, be uh, trusted to say the truth whether she received the ketubah or not. Um, whereas Almana, who's living in the house and helping around the, uh, around the house, uh, may justify taking a shivua that she did not receive anything. Um, even though she did receive something, she'll consider it as payment. So now we ask about that. So according to the Mishnah, only an almana can use this uh, legal leniency and make a neder in shivuah. But that means a gerusha, she has to make a shivuah in court. And she cannot make a neder instead. Is that true? And here we're going to have a story that shows, uh, that, that references a gerusha who, in fact, made a neder and was able to collect. This is a letter from a Betin in Israel to a Betin in Babel. Uh, the Betin in Israel uh, received this um, a gerusha, uh, um, arranged a, a, get, a get 
for this woman and also allowed her to uh, collect her ketubah based on a neder, as we'll see. And then we, we quote the exact, the exact wording of this letter. Ech pelonita bat pelonita kabilat gita min yada de bar hidya aya mari. So first of all, this letter testifies that this woman um, received the get from the hands of this man named Acha bar hidya, who is also called aya mari. So this will be good, that, that way she can get remarried based on the certification from the court that she's divorced. Un darat vasarat peloch ba'olam ala de la kabilat and furthermore, she made a neder right in front of us that she will refuse all, she will she'll be prohibited to all fruit in the world if she received any amount of her ketubah except for a cloak and a scroll of telim and a scroll of yov and mishle that are worn out. That she did receive. And we estimated that they um, are worth about 500 dinar. Now, so therefore, when she comes to you in Babel, in your Betin, please allow her to collect the rest of it. Apparently, the estate was in Babel, and so the, the get was adjudicated in Israel, but now she can go use this to collect the rest of her, um, the rest of her ketubah. So this is a fascinating uh, story altogether um, about how this letter, and she had to write it here and then take it there. Fascinating that this is her main belongings is Sefer uh, Tehilim, Mishle, Eyov, and Mishle. And uh, I guess she, she, she read them and learned from them. So that's also interesting. Uh, but the main point for us is that she made a neder and was able to collect a ketubah, even though she's a gerusha. There's a challenge because, uh, you, according to Shemuel here, said that a gerusha has to make a shivuah, so neder would not be sufficient. So what do you do with this story? Oh, when it says get here, it doesn't mean a real, an actual a get, a regular get, that from nisuin. It's not talking about a case when, when they, they, they were married, but rather, Get uh, Yevamin means that she fell to this man as a Yevama. Her husband died, and then uh, she fell to one of the brothers. And so the brother's name is actually Acha Barhidya. Now he's supposed to do either Yibum or Chalitza. Instead, he doesn't do either. He gives her a get. Now this get will not be effective in allowing her to get remarried, but it will be effective enough in the sense that it will be prohibited after that. Once the, uh, a um, Yevama receives a get, then none of the brothers can do Yibum. Instead, one of them would have to do Chalitza. So um, it's not fully effective, but it's effective to that extent. Anyway, um, they, so this, this is a, a get yevamin, not a right, not, and she therefore actually is an almana from, uh, from her husband, who actually, actually died, and so she wants to collect her ketubah as an almana. And so she, in fact, was an almana, and that's why making a neder was perfectly sufficient. And now the next part of the Mishnah said, So the Gamliel said, listen, we have to help out these almanot. Or not, we don't want them to make a shivua, but they'll make a less severe neder, and then they can collect their ketubah. Uh, regarding that, Amarav Huna, Lo Ota. This is only true if she did not get remarried. She can make a neder and collect. But if she went and got remarried, then she cannot make a neder to collect her ketubah. She won't be able to collect her ketubah at all. Why? Niset ma'itama demefer la ba'al. Because we are afraid that here's what will happen. She'll go to court and she'll make a neder and say, I did not, if I received anything, I will not eat fruit forever. Um, and she'll collect her ketubah. But then she'll go home and tell her husband what happened. Um, but 
she may let her husband, her husband already knows that maybe she, she's lying and she actually did receive her ketubah. So no problem, the husband will go and nullify her vow. Because she's married, the husband has a right to do that. On the day that he hears about it, he nullifies the vow. And therefore, no problem, she can eat fruit, she can do anything she wants, and this will be easy for her to lie. So this is a problem, that's why she can't make a nedir anymore. Uh, so then we ask about that. Kiloni said, and so why don't we worry, even if she's not married yet, she'll make a nedev now. Uh, I did not receive anything. If I did receive anything, I will only have any fruit. And then eventually when she does get married, and then the husband hears, oh, I, had, I made this vow before we married, the husband will be able to nullify it then. And she can, you know, so rely on, oh, I'm getting married, whatever, next uh, week, next month, whenever I get married. I'll have my husband uh, nullify the vow, and she won't. Then she won't care about lying now. And the answer is, and a baal no. A husband cannot nullify a vow that she already took before they were married. He can only nullify things um, from the marriage and onwards. Okay. Okay. Why don't we worry about any woman, even if she didn't get remarried, that she will lie in court about a ned? Then she'll go to a chacham and she'll say, "Listen, I want to do hatarat nedarim." Right? She goes three. She says, right, mutarim lachem, mutarim lachem. And so she'll lie and she'll go to go, 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 Hatara later and it'll be no problem. Oh, Rav Huna thinks that um, in order to undo a vow, the, the wife has to detail exactly the vow. He can't just make a blanket statement like we do now, right? Everybody just said, of all the nedarim we made all year. Um, has to has to um, specify. Then she's going to specify. Okay, what's your nedesh? She's going to say, well, you know, I actually did collect some of my ketubah, but I lied. And then I said I didn't take any uh, money of the ketubah. Um, and if I did, I'll have to. I won't eat fruit. But it's going to be really hard for me not to have fruit ever. So can you undo this nedesh? When the chacham hears that, he says, that's what the nedesh is. They made you 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 lied about this. You're trying to take money from the orphans that you don't deserve. And he will not undo the nedesh. So therefore, there's no need to worry about that. And that explains that Avuna only if uh, she's single, um, not, not remarried yet, um, then there's no way for her to undo the vow. So therefore, the nede, therefore we can trust the nede. But because she can't do a chacham won't work and she's not married, so there's no husband to do it. But if she's married, then the husband can undo it. That's the ruling of Rav Huna. Rav Nachman Niset, um, Rav Nachman is more lenient, says even if she's remarried, she can still make a, take a nedah. She didn't go and collect her, her, her ketubah before she got remarried, or it doesn't matter, whatever it is, she was busy. So she wants to get it now after she's remarried. She can make a nedah to the betin and she can collect it. Now we ask, wait a second, but then we definitely have to worry. The husband will be able to undo the nedah and then she can lie without any consequences. And the answer is, Oh, we administer the vow in public. And if, you, if she makes a vow in public, then the husband does not have the right to nullify that vow. It's a publicly made, made vow. No good. Okay, so that explains Rav Nachman. Now we're going to have a couple of challenges against the previous uh, ruling of Rav Huna. Meti Beniset, Kovaketubata im Nadra. This Baraita says if she was married, she can collect her Ketubah only if she made a vow. Uh, my love, nadra hashta. So does that mean that she's making a neder now that she is married? It says niset, she got married. She can still collect her ketubah if she makes it makes a neder. Sounds like she's allowed to make a neder. 
even after she's married. That's against Rabuna. And we answer, La nadera me'ikara. No, this means that she had made a neder before she was married. Right? She got married. She can still collect her ketubah if she had made a vow before she was married. So that's consistent with Rabuna. But, okay, he got, he got away with that baraita, but how's he going to answer this baraita? Batanya, niset noderet vigoba ketubata. Here it says, she got, if she got remarried, she can then make a vow, make a neder, and she can collect her ketuba. So, there's no way to reinterpret this baraita. Instead, we have to say, tana ehi. In fact, there's two, two baraitot, right? He can follow the previous baraita, but this, uh, and the second baraita would be the opinion of Rav Nachman. Because in general, there are two Tanetic opinions, and some say that if a neder was made in public, it can be undone. And uh, that would be the opinion of Rav Huna, um, because it can be undone, so we cannot trust her to make a neder once she's married. She can easily lie, and the husband will undo it. But there's another opinion that said, if you make a vow in public, even the husband cannot undo it. And therefore, that would be the opinion of Rav Nachman, will make her uh, do uh, make, a, uh, make a neder in public, and then we'll be sure that there'll be serious consequences to her if she lies, because the Chacham can't undo it, and her husband also will not be able to undo it. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen ve'Amen.